Welcome to this week's uh, Somerset Emotional Wellbeing podcast. I'm Dr. Peter Bagshaw, GP and NHS Somerset Clinical Lead for Mental Health. And I'm joined by my friend and colleague, Dr. Andrew Trasilla, again, GP by background and working for NHS Somerset. And uh, we're really pleased to have two guests this week, Susie and Billy, Susie Goodson and Billy Kerr. Susie, would you like to introduce yourself? Hi there, I'm Susie Godson and I am the co-CEO of the Tell Me Mental Health app for young people. Lovely. And Billy? Hi there, I'm Billy and I am a delivery manager at Tell Me. And so essentially my role is to, to work on the ground with all, the, all of our customers and, and get as many young people using the app as possible. So I have to ask the obvious question. Tell me about Tell Me. <laughs> so Tell Me is a peer support app. So it's unusual in that it enables young people to talk anonymously to each other, but it is completely pre-moderated by humans. So every post and reply is checked, risk assessed and topic tagged before it's published. And we have a preemptive counsellor model. So if somebody makes a high risk post, it goes straight to a counsellor. So young people don't have to ask for help. Help comes straight to them. And the app is age banded. So young people are always talking to people within two years of their own age. And they can topic, they can use topics so they can filter by any particular issue that's bothering them. And then they join a community or a conversation which is all about that issue. And that also filters the directory, which has nearly a thousand resources from crisis support services and books and apps and TED Talks and personal stories. And they are all filtered by topic two. So if, for example, a young person has filtered by anxiety, they'll be able to talk with other people about anxiety and then their directory will deliver them all the services around anxiety and resources around anxiety. And within Somerset, they have a NHS Somerset portal, which is filtered by their postcode. And through that, they can access all of the mental health services in Somerset. And I'm really pleased to hear what you say about the, the safeguarding issue, because we all know that mental health in young people uh, has got worse in the last few years and that social media has probably played a part in that so it, it's great Did, can you tell us a bit about the the ages that people are uh accepted on to tell me for billy and a little bit too i mean you're saying it's pre-moderated so i imagine that means you don't get a live chat function do you does is there a delay in in when people get responses yeah, of course. Um, so, so the the age banding, um, so anyone over the age of eleven um, can download the app. Um, and as I mentioned, age banding, so they'll also be connected to young people of a similar age as well. Um, but in terms of the the sort of delay, so during the the hours of eight thirty a.m. to eleven p.m. every night, so seven days a week, um, everything is moderated within thirty minutes. Now it's usually a bit quicker than that, and um, so it's usually around um, sort of fifteen minutes. But from the point of a young person posting about something that they're going through, within those opening hours and um, within those fifteen minutes, that that post will either go live, or if it can't go live for for any number of reasons, they'll be told as to why that can't go live as well. And you mentioned from the age of 11, what age up to, please? 
So there isn't actually uh, an upper age limit. Um, so, so over the age of 18, young people are matched, um, you know, sort of with, with other young people over the age of 18. Um, but the key work that we've been doing in Somerset is from the ages of 11 to 18. And Susie, you wanted to come in. Yeah, I just wanted to talk about the um, the timing in terms of publication. So when we started the app, we were very conscious of it not, not taking too long because young people are used to the immediacy of social media because it's not moderated, so it immediately goes live. And the app, it looks very similar to social media from the front end, so it looks more like Twitter. But what we discovered was that the asynchronous nature of that 15-minute window takes an awful lot of pressure off young people because it gives them time to, they don't have to expect an immediate response from people, nor do they have to feel pressured into giving an immediate response. And, and so our, our, our sort of research showed us that the time window, it, it can't be too long, obviously, but it actually helps because it, it alleviates that whole like culture thing of if I post something and I don't get 50 likes immediately, they become accustomed to a, a longer period of time knowing that they will get a response because one of the other secret weapons that we have is that we train psychology undergraduates who, as part of their course, they're super peers, and they go in and they make sure that every child gets a reply. So no post ever doesn't get a response. And that for us is hugely important because the whole problem with social media is it creates this competitive environment where young people often feel like they get left out and it becomes a, a sort of comparative sport. And we have sort of inadvertently created something that counters that. Um, and, and especially for uh, autistic young people, for example, or anybody who is maybe has slower times to process things or maybe is dyslexic or has learning difficulties, this, this little time window gives them time to think and it takes a, a lot of the pressure off. This is really exciting to hear um, because a few months ago I watched a Netflix documentary called A Social Dilemma, which some of our listeners will have watched, and how we are um, almost um, played and certainly, um, I was about to say groomed, that's the wrong word, we are, we are um, manipulated into that dopamine response of immediacy and it sounds as though you have by design or by default or just very cleverly indeed uh, your everybody who engages with tell me will actually be helping themselves to retune their brain away from that immediacy need of response well i mean you know, uh, part, partly by design, partly by accident. But as soon as we began to realise that it was it was a good thing, we developed. So we don't have like buttons. We have empathy buttons and grat and gratitude buttons, and we have made them very literal. So when you when you click your empathy button, it says, "I feel the same. Me too." And it's a little animation of words. And when you click your gratitude button, a little animation says, that really helped me. Thank you for that. And, and making it so that it's a non-competitive response, as well as allowing us to see metrics on how many people have thought something helped or was useful. It's, it's also for young people who find it difficult to engage, who don't know what to say, who are a bit anxious about maybe trying to help others. 
it's a very easy way in. And so that's a, that's we we can see that it's a kind of a, a way of engaging without risking too much or revealing too much. And then gradually their confidence builds and they begin to trust the environment and feel safe. And then they start to disclose or talk about the things that concern them. That's fascinating. I'm absolutely blown away by the idea of a gratitude button and an empathy button because we know that the two mental frameworks or states that are actually, in a selfish way, incredibly beneficial to ourselves are wonder and gratitude. And there you are, you've designed one of them straight into it. Uh, well, it, it was interesting because when we began to develop the app, we were pretty confident that young people would post about their problems, but we couldn't be entirely sure that they would be altruistic and that they would help each other. So, you know, when we started, there was literally me and my co-founder on it, and gradually we sort of built up a little community, and we could see that when somebody makes a post and somebody responds to them and that person comes back and says, thank you so much for sharing that. It's really helped me. Honestly, the feeling it gives you is so incredible. It's incredibly empowering. And what we can see is that that sense of it's confidence building that gives young people a boost to their self-esteem and it creates this virtual circle, this model where they keep engaging because they, they want to get that feeling. They want to know that their personal experiences are helping somebody else. And that is the other brilliant thing about it, is people can take something that's been desperately negative in their life and turn it into something constructive to help other people with. Susie, this is a podcast, so our listeners can only hear. But I'm just going to say, I saw my, I saw you put your hands to your heart as you were describing some of that, and uh, the, the 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 movements you were making with your hands and uh, with your face and the smiles that uh, you've got are really, really very uplifting. So that's just great to hear. We talked about the the benefits and the positive things. I, presumably, sometimes conversations will get more difficult and people might start saying that they're considering self-harm or, or something like that. How how does the app deal with those more difficult areas? So we have to be quite risk tolerant because we're there to allow young people to talk about difficult things. So if we started to screen out every child that talked about self-harm, we would lose a quarter of our young people because one in four young people self-harms. So what, we, what we're trying to do is create a structure whereby young people can discuss this, these issues in a positive way. So we are, um, everything that we do is, is risk assessed. So everything gets assigned a, a risk level and anything above a three goes straight to a counselor. And those things are not, those posts are not published. They have a direct, one-to-one -one conversation outside of the app. But what we find is that young people are so amazing at giving each other really, really constructive advice. And you're talking about the, actually the best person to help a 14-year-old who is self-harming is a 16-year-old who used to self-harm because they know what it's like. They can understand what it feels like. They know the, the frustrations. They know how it works temporarily as a release, but then it creates feelings of guilt and distress and how it becomes a vicious circle. And they can talk to them about how to break that cycle. 
an adult, a parent, a teacher, they can't give that advice in a, in a way that feels legitimate to a young person. So that's why peer support is such a phenomenal model for young people. And because it's all checked by moderators, because it's all pre-checked before it's published, it is safe. And what we then do, which I think is also quite clever, is we take a, a difficult post about something like self-harm, and then we create an educational resource whereby we take all the really useful comments that people have made about self-harm in general, all the advice, the tips, the tricks, the things that work, the things that help, and we make them into educational resources. So it's basically the voice of young people being turned into an educational resource which can, can be accessed by anybody who comes to the app. And I think I, our philosophy in general is to just keep listening to young people and keep learning from them because they're the ones that have been there and they've sorted it out. And, and that works really well as a model. Yeah, I just wanted to, to add just to Susie's point there and, and go back to, to Peter's question because um, Susie touched on it, but I just wanted to sort of provide a little bit more more context around, you know, what if, if there is something that's really quite severe that maybe, you know, young people aren't equipped to deal with and um, that might be, you know, too high risk. And um, that's where we have the team of counsellors who are always on hand. So that doesn't go live into the app. It goes into sort of like a, a quarantine state where the counsellor will talk to that young person to, to provide, you know, that, that more in-depth support um, in that instance. That's just what I wanted to, to add on that point. And while we're on the topic of difficult things, so uh, we know that there's been an increase in uh, issues around eating disorders in young people, body image problems. Is is this something that you're seeing reflected in the app? And again, how would somebody uh, be helped if they have that sort of issue by going onto your app? Yeah, we well, we I think around 27% in our last survey, we had about, we do an impact and wellbeing survey every year. And then Last year, I think about 27% of young people said that they had an eating disorder. We actually work, uh, we're commissioned in Leicester and we partner with an eating disorders charity called First Steps ED. And it's quite a nice model because young people who've been through CAMS for an eating disorder step down out of CAMS and have face-to-face real-world counselling with First Steps. They also come into the app, but through the app, they can then be stepped up back into first steps for, for one-to-one if they need it. And so that, that working with them has then obviously given us a much more uh, detailed understanding of the complexities of eating disorders and how broad the issues are. It's not just the eating disorder. The eating disorder is the thing that gets the attention, but it's all the issues around it. And that's why holistic support solutions, which allow young people to talk about the fact that their parents are divorcing, the fact that they need to get an A star in their math exam, the fact that they don't have a boyfriend, the fact that they, you know, split up with their best friend. These are all the issues that the holistic issues that surround something that is manifestly the mental health issue. But being able to provide that general support can actually be really helpful when it comes to a young person making the decision to actually begin to fight the eating disorder and begin the road to recovery. And you mentioned CAMS, but we need to stress that in the Somerset model, people don't have to have had any contact with CAMS before they can access your app, do they? Um, no. And it's free to use? 
Yeah, well, commissioned by the NHS in Somerset, which means that any young person can download it and begin to use it. And I think I mentioned earlier that uh, within the Tell Me directory, there is an NHS Somerset portal. And through that portal, young people can access things like Young Somerset or Chat Health or... Um, to be used in there as well. Yeah, to be used. Yes, yeah, sorry, Susie, I didn't mean to, to jump in. I forgot to raise my hand. Um, but yeah, so 2BU, um, Young Somerset, um, like I said, Chat Health, um, Mindline is listed within there as well. Um, but yeah, these are all these are all accessible at the, the click of a button whenever they do need to, to access them uh, at any point. Uh, we, we conducted this study recently, which was commissioned by the Southwest AHSN to look specifically at the issue of anxiety in Somerset. And as part of that project, we did one-to-one interviews with lots of young people. And it was so lovely when I was talking to one of them and she said, oh yes, I'm now getting counselling. And I said, how did you get to that point? And she said, well, through the Tell Me app, I don't think she even realised I was from Tell Me, I got to, I got into the, into the Somerset NHS portal and then I got to chat help and then they sent me to this counselling service, which wasn't CAMS. And that's really important because a lot of young people just don't know where to go. They know that they're anxious. They know that they're worried, but they do not know where to go to get the support that they need. So having a kind of a junction box into local services, which makes it really easy for a school teacher who might not know where to send somebody that they know is stressed or for young people. We feel that that's massively important at a local level because there is lots of support out there. It's just that a lot of parents and young people don't know how to find it. So that's really interesting. How do we help people understand, well, access? Um, do all the schools know about this? Do all the secondary schools know? And how do we how do we get it live? Because there's nothing like peer group um, support to to uh, make things work rapidly, I understand. Yeah, so um, so that's something we're working on. It's a continuous process. You know, we're, we're, um, we are working with a, a large number of schools in Somerset, um, but we'd like that that number to increase, of course. Um, you know, so, so as many people hear about it as possible, um, the better, you know, working with various different community partners as well. So any charities, um, you know, any youth organisations um, that would like to work with us, we're always, always open to, to working with anyone we can. I think one of the problems is that there is a general perception that the only place to go if you've got a mental health issue is CAMS. And I think that that's um, difficult because it creates a huge waiting list for CAMS. And a lot of those young people could be be treated just as well elsewhere within the system. But because people don't know what else is available, they all go to the one place. And I think that Within schools, there is the sense that it's the only place they can trust. And actually, we need to educate everybody about the fact that there's lots and lots of different types of support that are, are often more appropriate. This sounds a real model of empowerment, and I know Peter wants to add on to that. Um, I was just going to ask, as we were talking about um, access and so on, uh, is it a 24-hour service? No, at the moment we finish at 11.30 at night and we put up a bedtime message so that young people know that the moderators are in their pyjamas. They can still post and they can still reply, but nothing will go live 
until the morning. And in some senses, that's good because it means that 11-year-olds go to bed and get some sleep. But we do want to extend the hours because we know that it's the early hours of the morning when the people who are most distressed are most alone and most isolated. And we have done some tests on um, nighttime and count, nighttime moderation and counselling go running through till about 3 or 4 a.m. Um, and that is something that we want to build. Yeah, just just wanted to to add to Susie's point again there as well that you know obviously that's that's why we have introduced that that bedtime. But you know if if there is an instance where a young person does need support at say three in the morning um, on a, on a Saturday, then they have the whole directory um, to access and they have the Somerset portal. So for instance, they could access you know Mindline, which is I believe a twenty four seven helpline. So they can just they still have routes of support available to them should they need it. Yeah, and we have got 24-hour helplines in, in the crisis support that they can always access at any time. I'm going to sound terribly old and fuddy-duddy, but I'm so glad that you shut down in many ways at 11pm because the hours asleep in darkness before midnight do count double as regards melatonin production and as regards the circadian rhythms that govern all mammals and human beings. But clever human beings think they can buck that um, and we can use blue light from screens until any point and then fall just straight asleep. And unfortunately, I don't know about everybody else's brain, but it doesn't work like that for me. Need that wind down time. So well done on building that in and also being available for a crisis should it happen. There's nothing worse than feeling very lonely at 3 a.m. Peter? Yes, I I think the point you made earlier, Susie, about CAMS is really important because so much of what we see is, is more emotional distress, isn't it? Especially in younger people. And, and really, CAMS is only set up to deal with mental illness in children. So it's just not the appropriate service for, for a, an awful lot of people in distress. Do you have any any particular groups that find your service more helpful than others? Are there any particular people you're keen to see more of? Um, well, we we are we are we've just done an amazing um, SBRI project on autism because in the in our impact study, uh, I think seventeen percent of the young people that responded told us that they were autistic. And given that supposedly only 1% of the population is autistic, we realised that we had a great research opportunity there. So we got some funding and we teamed up with the Autism Research Centre in Cambridge and we have just done a, a magnificent study, which shows, which really does show that we are doing something incredible for these young people. We have so many of them are, are, are non-verbal who are using the app to communicate with their peers, even though they find it so difficult to communicate face-to-face -face within, a, say, a classroom environment. We, um, we break down barriers to communication and we in increase social connection for these young people, which, which are uh, loneliness and anxiety are, are massively higher in autistic young people. In fact, all mental health issues are, and um, uh, four in 10 autistic young people will have suicidal thoughts and one in 10 will attempt suicide. So anything which alleviates some of the anxiety that they feel is, is phenomenal. 
Um, and as part of that project, then we built in an autism screening tool into the app, which was developed by the Autism Research Centre in Cambridge. So we can see that for specific populations, we're doing quite specific things and we're really keen to keep researching with these different groups. And we're about to start in Somerset working with young people with diabetes. So we're hoping to get lots of young people with diabetes to come to the app so that they can join our study that we're about to launch. Um, but we, we work in different ways with different groups and that's something that we continue to research. And we better give people the opportunity to find out how to get in touch with you. So tell me, uh, all search engines, but they've got to spell me with an I, is that right? Yeah, it's C-E-L-L-M-I, all one word. Is there some subtle reason for that, that um, that I'm not getting? or? Um, well, yeah, mainly that every name under the sun that you try and register for the name of an app is gone. So... <laughs> Um, we we actually what we did was we kept, we came up with a few names and asked our our users to vote on them because we we changed our name we were called Me Too and then we changed our name and then Tell Me was the one that won. So I love the fact that you're producing in a way peer moderated educational content uh, as an output of this to help people uh, to help our youngsters. Um, get themselves out of difficulties and also learn self self-efficacy and self um self-regulation emotional self-regulation which is a skill set which must have become much more difficult during the pandemic i mean i think that for us the, the main reason in for developing a peer support model was that we recognized that the one-to-one counseling model is unsustainable the demand grossly outweighs the supply and we also did recognize that young people will listen to each other in a way that they won't listen to parents, to teachers, even to counselors. I mean, the amazing thing, our, our data is pretty amazing, but when we go in and, and search for feedback on therapy and counseling, we can see that young people really often don't tell the truth. They say what they think they're meant to say, they hide their feelings. And because tell me is anonymous and they feel comfortable talking to their peers, they will be open in, in the app in a way that they just aren't in other aspects of, of their life. But what we do see is this uh, repeat pattern whereby young people talk, are open, and we have an awful lot of first disclosure, but the support that they get from their peers does make them feel better, more confident. It builds their self-esteem. It increases their resilience. And then they build up to a point where they feel ready to talk about it in the real world and to ask for real world help if they need it. Or they may just have resolved the problem through finally, you know, coming out or talking about the issue that was bothering them. And so the peer support in itself can be an intervention that works as a means to an end, or it can lead to them getting the real world help that they need. Uh, interesting. So they may well have actually developed skill sets and matured through the process that you have supported yeah. and allowed to happen. Just a sort of question. And, um, Sorry. No, no. Yeah. I was just going to say that also through the directory, we get young people, all, young people make all the art in the app. We publish their photographs, their artwork and their personal stories. And actually the personal stories are really important. Uh, being able to see how other people have overcome issues, you know, 
all sorts of issues. So stories of hope and recovery are really important. Well, it's fantastic to hear about this new resource for uh, 11 year old and upwards uh, people in Somerset. Um, and I, I think it's really powerful what you said that the the most expert person to deal with a young person's mental health problem is another young person who's been through that that same problem. That's really powerful. It means that peer support isn't some cut down cheap version. It's actually the the most effective therapeutic solution. We're coming to the end of our podcast, but can I leave last words to you, Billy and Susie? Is is there anything you'd like to leave our listeners with? Um, yeah, I mean, for me, um, everything is about collaboration and, you know, working with as, as many people as possible so that we can support as many young people as possible. And so, you know, if there is anyone listening to this that, that does want to um, work with us, then please let us know. Um, but Susie, is there anything you wanted to, to add? Um, I would say the same. I would say things like um, charities having a, a direct link to tell me on their website so that we can directly link to them through the directory. All that kind of cross-collaboration through all the different support services through Somerset, I think we could all get better at. Um, we, we would really like to push for that so that there's an interconnectedness about the way you know we're all connected to each other online. Um, and you know we're, we're there for everyone. We're, we're really keen to, to to work with and listen to young people and so do like get in touch tellme.help is our website and email billy b-e-l-b-i-l-l-i-e at tellme.help or susie s-u-z-i at tellme.help brilliant and that's so tell me with an i billy yeah. i-e and susie yeah. z-i is that right <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Well, Tell thank you both for, for coming on and uh, telling us about the, the work that Tell Me does in helping uh, mental health for our younger Somerset residents. Thank you both. Thank you for having us. Thank you. You've been listening to the Somerset Emotional Wellbeing Podcast. The show was hosted by our team of doctors, including Dr. Andrew Tresida, Dr. Peter Bagshaw and Dr. Sarah Coop. The show was produced by Rob Holmes Music on behalf of the NHS Somerset Integrated Care Board.